Good to be here. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, please? Ephesians 1. As you're doing that, I just want to say a big thank you to Calvary Chapel, um, all that you guys have meant to us. Those who don't know me, uh, my name is Chris, my wife Bethany. We were a part of this church, I can't believe it's already been six years uh, that since we moved. We're just down in Fresno, not far away. Um, but yeah, we were here for several years and just so loved by you guys richly. We're so grateful. Still, uh, the encouragement and the support that you guys are for us. We're missionaries to the Horn of Africa. Although we're based in Fresno, we do a lot of the operations and the communications uh, here to help support uh, the local workers that are there in East Africa. So our pleasure to be a part of that and you guys are cheering us on in that role. Um, and I know others have come and just shared of what, what a blessing it is that you guys have a good thing going here. I got to listen to most of the, all the uh, messages during the sabbatical, right, uh, of this time. And it's been real. I was really blessed to be able to go through and, and hear those. But really rich. God has poured his favor and his blessing on you. And it's wonderful to be here and to see the growth, uh, a lot of growth here. I'm just encouraged by that. A lot of new faces. Um, I want to just uh, jump right into, if we could, for Ephesians 1 on verse 15. And this is a prayer probably familiar to many of you. We're going to read from 15 to, to all the way to the end of the chapter, 23. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, like we just sang about here, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I love that. We could probably just listen to that over and over, right? So rich, so deep. And that, that's just to be able to delight in this. I was thinking if I brought, um, let's say, a treasure map for each of you today and said, this treasure will show you where $1 billion is. That would be super exciting, right? To kind of show you, kind of track it and you go through it. Maybe it'd be a race for who gets there first, but maybe it was for each of you individually, you got one of your own to go and pursue. And thinking about that, this, this idea of what God has given us as a treasure, really, and this just kind of highlights that and me to delight in this, to explore it, to dig into it more. Um, if we were to just kind of walk through some of the, the context here in Ephesians, Paul is just sharing from the beginning before on verse 15, he says, for this reason, if we back up and... Uh, He's just, just lauding praise about Jesus and all that we have in Jesus. We are blessing him and we are blessed in the heavenly realms. And just going through a quick walkthrough, um, sharing that he has chosen us. We are his creation. He loves us. We get to praise him in his glory and that he has redeemed us through his blood. We have this mystery that it's his good pleasure, what he's purposed in Christ. All these good things in, in him and that we have this rich inheritance that we who are believers in Jesus are sealed by the Holy Spirit, we have this deposit guaranteeing. So he's just overflowing, right, out of the, this beginning of Ephesians. And then he starts back in verse 15. It says, For this reason, 
ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Just out of this abundance of who we are in Christ and this, this love that Jesus has for us, Paul is saying this relationship, he thinks of them often. He is praying for them. And then he lets you know what he's praying for him in verse 17. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I love these parts. I'm going to kind of talk fast. I hope to get into a few missionary stories and some other pieces first. I hope you're able to track with that. But I just really want to start by soaking in this part and seeing the richness what what Paul is sharing uh, in here. But one of my prayers as I was going through this for you was this in verse 18. It says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know this hope. And when we think, well, the eyes of your heart, okay, when you think, okay, you got, you got like eyes on your heart, and then that was my prayer that God would just enlighten us to his word that we would be excited about and have that hope. But I also was praying also that the hearts of your eyes, and that's a weird way of saying it, but like thinking, okay, if your eyes have a heart, and the way I would explain this is there's a family that was traveling uh, in a bus lightened yes to some of the, those things that are hard that we would have compassion. I like to show what Jesus did in this piece when he talks about, if we would flip over to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, if you want to go to verse 35. Here's Jesus. Um, he's going through towns and villages. He's preaching the good news. Here it says from chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And then verse 36, with his eyes, says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. This is Jesus here, and he's looking out and he's seeing, right? Now he's thinking, I'm going around and I'm seeing God heal these people. Uh, uh, diseases, I'm seeing the, the good news preached and people responding to it, but I'm only one person, right? A God in the flesh. I'm thinking he's thinking of the present part right now, but he's also seeing all throughout, all these other people that are living throughout the world, right? That he can picture. And he's saying, what? He's saying there's fruit out there on trees and I want people to get to them. I want them to be able to hear this good news. I think he's, he's feeling with his heart, right? With what's going on from his experience in, in these villages, but he's taking a step back as God and seeing all this, what's happening in his heart. And then he turns and he says, so I'll read it back again from verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are lazy. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I don't know if any of you guys probably heard that saying so much. The harvest is uh, plentiful, so the workers are few, right? Sometimes I read a little bit different just to wake myself up and say, no, I think sometimes I'm just lazy. He knows the harvest is out there. He knows it's ready, right? And we're saying, well, he's, he's hitting there, and he's getting to see people come to him and crowds come to him. And he's also picturing generations down the road later, right? That there's going to be fruit that's on trees and it's going to hit the ground rotten and it breaks his heart. He has compassion on those he sees, but also out in the future. I would pray the same for us. May our eyes be enlightened by the hope that we have and then what we get to share with others, right? So um, in that piece, if we want to go ahead and uh, turn back now to Ephesians 1. We're going to go back and forth to several different good scriptures today. 
back to verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So kind of these three things. He's He's hoping we will be able to see this hope that we have as his saints, this inheritance that is, that is ours now and is coming to us, and then also this incomparably great power, those three things, just to be able to soak in that. That's what I want, I want to hope and, and be able to see that with the eyes of my heart. Um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to share a little bit more on this piece also, uh, and with a little bit of analogy, I'd share this. There's a father who he comes back at the end of the day and his daughter, his third grade daughter, comes up to him and says, Daddy, Daddy, I bet you can't poke your head through this the hole in this paper. She gives him this paper that's kind of like this and he looks at it like, there's no way. I'm like, there's no way I can get my head through this. He's playing with, like if I break the piece of paper, she's saying, I bet you can't. And then while he's trying to do it, the daughter takes his hand, takes his finger and pokes him right through the paper. He's like, oh, see, you could do it, and gives him a hug. Yeah, you won the bet. Uh, this idea of, of that, sometimes when we read Scripture, we just look at it from one lens, kind of from our perspective or our worldview. And I'd like this morning to just kind of allow God to maybe poke us with a few different ways. Uh, some of my experience being in different mission fields, um, I get poked a lot. I kind of have my one way of doing it and looking at it. And so I want to just kind of welcome us with the eyes of our heart and the hearts of our eyes to look at three different, I'll call them like dimensions or frameworks. And when I, when I think about that, we've, we've kind of already looked at some of them in this scripture. Um, when I came here, I thought, oh, perfect. Think of it like a three-legged stool. This has four, so I don't want to have to come up with another worldview. But think of it like a, of a three-legged stool. And the first um, framework we'd look at is the idea of truth and justice. That's the first one. A lot of us, when I say worldview, I just mean how do we view life? What do we think is important to uh, us as we make decisions? So we're talking, yes, about Scripture, but how do I come to Scripture? How do I look at Jesus and make decisions about my life? What do I think is good to run a society? First one, truth and justice. So in a truth and justice system, I'm thinking about what is right, okay, in truth. They do the good thing, they do the right thing, the consequences, they get good. They do the bad, they get justice, okay? Truth and justice. You're very familiar with the words. And then there's honor and shame. A lot of other cultures work with honor and shame. It's more about, um, I, I don't want to just say looking good, but there's honor. Honor that comes to you, to your family, to your generations by what's taking place, or there's a shame, a turning away, usually not just individual. Um, I think this can be best shared by a scenario. I want you to put yourself in a scenario. You're a 16-year-old uh, boy in Africa, and it's after school. You're watching some elementary school player, uh, kids play soccer out on a field. Okay, you there? You're sitting there, you're watching them play, and then all of a sudden these kids are playing soccer, and they point over to this man, and they say, thief, thief. And it's an older man. He's kind of walking in the shadows over by this building. He's going over by, and, and you as this teenager are there, and they're pointing to this man, and you see this man carrying a, like a gunny sack with, um, it looks like a chicken's in there. It's making little noises, and it's fluttering around. And you have a choice now as this young man, what you're going to do. The boys are all saying, thief, thief. You walk over to this man, and what do you do? In a truth and justice system, you look in the bag, ah, oh, it is a chicken. Why did you steal that? There's consequences he pays for it, right? Truth and justice. 
and an honor shame culture, you're thinking a little bit different thoughts. This is an old, older man. We should be honoring the, the elderly. We don't know the whole picture. If we say that he stole something here, this will ruin him. His, 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 his um, influence in the community, his ability. We don't know. Maybe the whole story is his wife asked him to go get a chicken to be able to help his daughters about to die. And they needed to cook this chicken for chicken broth. And he plans to go and pay it back. But just circumstances, the wife didn't know he had lost a job. And there's not many. We don't know the whole picture, right? But if I'm a truth and justice, I think, nope, that's not right. You should pay for it. If I'm honor shame, I think more in the situation of, I go over there, no, it's not a chicken, he can go. And the kids don't care, they're going back to playing soccer and it's, it's, it's kind of game on to keep going, right? That's a hard scenario, but I just want to be able to picture. Another one that has happened to me a lot, when I go over to Ethiopia and I might order an omelet. And so in this omelet, basically it's scrambled eggs with a little bit of diced onions and diced tomatoes, okay? So I order an omelet and I say, I don't really care for onions, can, I please, can you please take out the onions? You know, just the, the omelet, no onions. Well, when they come, and this happened multiple times, it's eggs, tomatoes, and onions. Always, and I'm like, well, okay, maybe maybe there's a language barrier, but it does keep happening. I even learned how to say onion, and I'm hungry. But totally different system. I'm an American. I want it right. The truth is, it's this. No, send it back. I want it my way. Or what are they doing in serving it to me? They're serving it to me out of an honor-shame situation. They're there to give me their best omelet. That's all that they have, the, the onions, tomatoes, they're going to give the best. And they're not an individual society where you really have a bunch of maybe those preferences. So you're not going to go send that back to the kitchen and shame them. They're there to honor you and give them their best, right? I just paint that scenario because it's helpful for us to think through that. When we go through scripture, I'm going to be asking you to think through these different lenses. And the last one uh, that we're going to go through, that third leg on the stool is more of a power encounter. So we have truth and justice, honor and shame, and the other one is more of a power encounter. And so in a situation of a power encounter, and I would say Calvary Chapel, you you uh, already expressed this really well. When I look at that Ebenezer wall in the hallway, right? We've seen God show up in power and change situations, right? A power encounter is basically, think of a sports analogy, both are trying to win, there's a battle. We have we have heaven and hell. We have God and Satan. That are there's a power encounter about to happen. Something needs to change. In other cultures, what that means is they will worship anything big, impressive, or that can transform something. Right. So when I go to Ethiopia, there are people that are worshiping big trees, big rivers, spirit world, witchcraft, uh, things that we think, oh, that's not right. That's gross. But they believe that that can cause something different in the spirit realm. Right. Power encounter. Does that make sense? Kind of I set that up. I want to go through a little bit uh, more of that now as we look at it. Let's go back to verse uh, 19. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. And he continues to go, which he exerted in Christ and raised him from the dead. I think this is important also. If you want to turn uh, to Matthew 22, there's a really uh, good example of this. Matthew 22, I believe it's verse 29 here. 
In this example, you have all these different uh, Pharisees coming to Jesus, trying to trick him with questions, right? They're trying to pin him down, and that's not going so well for the Pharisees. So now it's the Sadducees' turn to ask him a question. We're in Matthew chapter 22. I'm not going to read the whole part, but for context, if you want to go through that. Matthew 22 starts at verse 23, and then down at verse 29. I know I'm moving a little bit quickly here, but on this part, they basically ask him, and they don't believe necessarily in the the resurrection piece as the Sadducees are coming to him. And they lay out the scenario, if this woman marries this husband, and then he dies, and it goes down the line and say, well, whose wife will she be at the end of the day? Jesus answers this and basically says in verse 29, you are an heir because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. And this is a powerful one. They're coming to him. And I was taken by that because I grew up, it's all about scripture. You want to learn, you want to know it. But I feel very weak in the power of God sometimes. I think I work much in the truth and justice. Okay, that's how I think. I think that piece And I want to know God in the truth as the way and the truth and the life of Scripture. But I also want to know God in his power in that way. And I don't want to be a Pharisee or Sadducee that's trying to just do it my way and just trying to figure out that piece. So I want to look at a few of these and see if any of that relates to where you guys are in in, in this piece. And I'm hoping that this will open up the Bible as a greater treasure map to look at it through other people's lens. Um, I want to be clear, though. When we look at just one of them, they're not incorrect. They're just incomplete. Does that make sense? The goal of each of these, I keep pointing this, um, these worldviews is not in and of themselves. It's for a relationship with Jesus. The point of a stool is to be able to sit on it and enjoy, to be in relationship with Jesus. And he can do that through truth and justice. He can do that through honor and shame. He can do that through power. He can do that however he wants because he's God, right? So the, the, I don't want to get sidetracked just in all these details, but to remember the purpose of this is relationship with Jesus. And Paul makes that very clear throughout Ephesians. I want you to have wisdom and revelation to know him better. I want you to be able to know that you ascribe me honor so I can pour out honor in relationship with you. I want you to have power so you can not only have power under my name, but to bless the rest of the world in power. Does that make sense? That's where we're going, but we want to be well-rounded. God is so huge and dimensional that we want to know him at greater uh, greater ways there. So in just thinking about these three uh, frameworks, I want to just go back to thinking about in the beginning when, when God created Adam and Eve. What did he do? Okay, truth and justice. He said, if you eat this tree, you will suffer the consequences, right? And, and when we go through that part, and that's what happened. There were consequences suffered. When we think about it through honor and shame, we think, well, he made them, they were naked and unashamed. They, there was freedom there, right? And then once they sinned, what was there? There was shame. There was a covering. And there was also power, right? There was a death that came onto that, but there was power to the snake. The snake, what will he do? This encounter, the snake all of a sudden is now, his head's going to be on the ground. He's eating dust. He doesn't have any arms and legs. His, this snake will powerfully bite at uh, basically Jesus' heel at our heels and make our life hard here. But what will happen? There will be a power, a crushing of his head, right? In that story, in the beginning, it starts and it shows all three worldviews uh, throughout. So I'm not trying to isolate that there's always just one or the other. A lot of times you'll see multiple in just one story of Jesus working in Scripture. When you think about uh, in Exodus, the Egyptians and this power encounter with Pharaoh, right? It was all about, well, okay, the... Their God could do this with the Nile. Their God could do it with with the frogs and the flies. But, well, the sun God could not overcome God when there was darkness for that period of time. 
or the Pharaoh could not overcome and shield his son, okay, when, when there was a Passover, right? So when you think there is a huge power encounter, uh, probably the most famous one with, Mount, uh, with uh, Elijah up on Mount Carmel, right? It's like, okay, here's, here's the chance. This is a power encounter. He didn't come and say, come to my seminar and I'll teach you all about God. He's better than the, the Baals, uh, those that worship, right? He didn't say, I'm going to shame them in front of everyone. He said, it's a power encounter. Let's see what, what happens. And let's see how he shows up. And it was, boom, it was game on. It's, it's this, this time, this chance. And you see that throughout scripture. You see Joshua walk around Jericho and you're thinking, this is not true. How is that going to happen? They're sitting there and they're, they're walking around. They're blowing a trumpet. That doesn't make sense for my truth and justice mind frame, right? But I want to open those, those, those hearts of my eyes and be able to think, oh, in greater ways. There are people up on the wall probably shaming them. You're not doing anything. But God's power showed up when it showed up, right? And so that, that kind of structure, it's really fun for me to kind of see a different pattern or way to read through Scripture and see God as above all those things and, and amidst them. Um, also, I, uh, Sean earlier showed about uh, Mark 5 when went through that battle with Jesus and the demoniac and through this legion. That's a power encounter, right? He didn't come to just tell him all the good news first. That came right after so that he had that relationship with Jesus. And you guys get it, but we could go through many in Jesus's uh, life. You think about the Samaritan woman, that was honor and shame all over the place, right? Yes, there was truth and justice that took place and bad things were decided. There were some bad consequences, but her life was filled with shame. And what did Jesus do? Shame is about identity and value. Okay, so when we think about your honor and who God has created you to be, your value, well, her value had been very diminished. But who did Jesus? He first said, I am the Messiah. He showed her who she was and he lifted her gaze. He lifted her shame away and she is now running to tell other people it has been lifted. She is free, right? So there's that, when we read that story, we've got to really think through the lens of honor and shame. Um, could go on and on with some other examples. I would like to share a couple uh, pieces also about a specific people group in Ethiopia. They're called the Menja people group. And uh, I'm actually leaving for Ethiopia tonight. I've, I head out of San Francisco just before midnight. When I was telling that to Jim, he's like, that's pretty a good time to ask for a ride to the airport. So anybody want to take me tonight? You, you could. Uh, but no, part of it is I'm going there uh, to visit uh, this people group and just to get to know and, and to love them more. We've heard some amazing reports of some new church plants. But this people group is incredibly um, discriminated against. It'd be like getting in a plane and flying and dropping off in the South in the 1940s, 50s, and just seeing just the amount of discrimination there is pretty intense. Um, just in the way that they won't touch, they won't talk to, even in the church setting, they won't let them sit in, in the same row, they won't be near them. Uh, if they're in the market, they won't buy their things until maybe at the end of the day when they can rip them off. When they exchange, they won't even give them the money by the hand, they'll put it on the ground. The things that are just Horrible. If, if they touch a utensil, they won't use it. If the priest walks around, he'll do one cross to bless the other people and another cross to touch them. Things that you just go, this should not be um, very discriminated against people. And um, one of our church planters, his name is Yasu, it's Joshua for, for in that language, and he was sharing some of the stories of what they've gone through. And basically he uh, shared some examples about when they were in a great uh, rainstorm and everything else. And he had started to befriend these Menja people. They were leery of him at first, but he takes them into a friend's house and it's dark, they can't see. 
once the friend gets up and the and the, the daylight comes out, he sees that they're menja, he makes them all leave right away. Couldn't believe that they'd bring him in the house. Uh, There's another time where he brought some of these menja people to his uh, his own house, and his mother was really not okay with it, but chose to serve them food, hoping they would get out quick. But the father came home, he asked his father while they were there, and just went into a rage, broke every single dish that the menja had touched, shamed his son, made them leave. And just the amount of, um, yeah, looking at them as subhuman. I and mean, we, we would look at them from the outside, we wouldn't tell the difference between, you know, from physical standpoint. But I got to encourage you, ask you, and say, you know what? You have a father in heaven that is so excited that they will come and they will be with you around that table of feast and they will welcome you. And we still want to pray for his physical father that he would he would see that and understand. But um, the way Iyasu got connected with them was much more through a power encounter. Basically what happened, he's sitting with his friend. He'd gotten to know a little bit about the menja, but hadn't had much of an inroad. Sitting at a little coffee shop just by the highway there or the, the roadway. And he's um, seeing them carry this pregnant lady across. She looks like and she's in bad shape. Goes, tries to figure out what's going on. Here's a little bit of the story. Goes back to his friend. Give me all the money you got. I've got to try and get this woman to a hospital. Basically what happened, this woman, very hungry, goes into a little small shop. And she goes in, asks for food. Uh, owner figures out, oh, she's menja. She starts yelling, she's menja, she's menja. She tries to leave and get out. But her, her uh, arm brushes his sleeve on the way out. And uh, he says, she's assaulting me. She's assaulting me. Here's this pregnant lady. And now he basically ends up... Um, hurting her, assaulting her, jumping on her stomach. It's, it's a really hard story with some, some young ears in here. But basically, her life was in danger, and the baby was now dead. And they were taking her to a hospital. Um, and the hospital wouldn't even take her in, uh, being menja. But there was another one that he also knew that they could take her to a hospital, gathered the money. As he's sitting there, and he wants to minister to these people, wants an inroad, God says, I want to reveal myself to these people. I will raise that baby back to life. And he tells Iyasu that. And says, oh. So he's now, uh, you know, speaks that, prays that over. They'd already known that this baby was dead. Uh, take her to the hospital again now, able to revive not only a woman, but see that there's a heartbeat and the baby's uh, going. So now this baby is a year old and he's ministering to these people and so forth. But a lot of times it's not just you ready to give a sermon. It's by God's power showing up and saying, you know, what? I will do a great work in there. Why? For the purpose of relationship, not for showing off or for doing a power show, but really so that that can be done because he's God. He has authority. So many incredible stories of how God shows up. He is the one who loves to see those who don't see, feel like they're seen or known. He loves to come alongside and know them. Um, I'd say another reason I want to share this, uh, this piece, it's like, well, Chris, what does this have to do with me and my situation here in North Fork in a small town? Like, I would say, if we were operating out of a truth and justice, it's more like you share the four spiritual laws, you share about God coming and he's good and we made a mistake and now he has to come and he has to pay the penalty for our sins. All that is true. The wages of sin is death. So the gospel is still good news, right? Nothing has changed about the gospel. Uh, it is still the greatest news. But what has changed is the way some people are receiving it and the way that the world is changing, even the last few years, right? But the last generation is more about truth and justice. We use the metaphor of you're in a court system, okay? We know we've sinned, we've messed up, and someone must pay that fine, someone must be that sacrifice, right? We've heard that, that kind of analogy. That is all very true. But a lot of people that operate more out of honor shame, it's going to be very different. 
right? And so it's coming. You are not just someone in a judge courtroom. You are coming to cover over the shame, right? And that's what Jesus says over and over. He comes and he covers. He sends them as far as the east is from the west. He is able to be able to cleanse. We talk about purity, about cleanse, about our identity and our value. Yes, sin must be paid and atoned for. But the way I understand that is what, what worldview or framework I'm coming. So why are we going there on that part? Because I think the world has changed in the way it's received. Because of social media and we can have access to anything every, anywhere, right? When we think of just the influence of many different cultures living all around us and bringing those, those ideas to us. And when you think of uh, honor and shame, we're in a cancel culture right now, right? It wasn't like that a few, even years ago, a generation ago, where you make a mistake, ah, oh, that wasn't good, slap on the wrist, okay, you get better. Here, you mess up once, you're kind of done. And that's out of operating out of shame, right? Saying, if you're shamed, you're done forever on that piece. I really appreciate what Jacob had shared about kind of the abortion tourism weeks ago, about just this idea of what California is going into, and we think about uh, the struggle, the sin of abortion. That's one of shame. You go and you're, you're hidden. But God wants to cover that. He wants to lift our heads. He wants to forgive that. And so there's this idea of there's a shame factor. But there's also uh, very much power encounter, I believe, coming. And that is here amidst us. And when I say power, um, I think Jesus wants to show his, his authority in our life in, in that situation. But I also want to just explain, like, there's, in today's age, if you, uh, the, the amount of youth that are looking up witchcraft, the amount of TikToks that are on Ouija boards. Um, when you think about the top movies in the last few years are mostly horror movies in terms of the most grossing uh, or most uh, profitable ones. So we're dealing with this right now, today. And so I'm just sharing this. There are so many richness in the gospel, but the way that it is received, it is, might be received more through us being able to say, let's see God move and do a power counter and take that piece out. This is not new necessarily to follow us, but I want us to be being able to approach and share the gospel and the good news and the way others will receive it, right? So when I think about that piece and the, the idea of a power encounter, I would say if we want to grow in that area, we would probably understand a little bit more the truth and justice, honor and shame. But maybe God is calling us more into a season of asking him for his power in our, in our relationships, in our life, in our situations, and sharing that. Um, so I would just say, we are in it. We are in that situation. I think the enemy has been really smart in saying he's been kind of invisible. When you go over to Africa or these other places, it seems like, whoa, he's right there in your face. And they know it's a pounder cower going on. Here, it seems like, yes, he's masquerading as light and he's pretty tricky, right? But if you were invisible playing hide and seek, you wouldn't want to reveal where you are, right? If most people don't know where you are and don't really think that much about you, you want to stay hidden. I think of Lord of the Rings, if Frodo puts that ring on, what happens? All of a sudden he's visible and the world changes. Everybody's seeing him, right? If you can stay invisible, it really helps. I think the enemy knows that. And I th uh, just maybe as a little side note, uh, warning towards Halloween, I would just really caution us to go to the Lord first and ask him how, uh, as believers, we can celebrate what he celebrates, life and light. Jesus celebrates life. Jesus celebrates li uh, this light and life. And whatever your context or your situation, I'd ask him, how can you redeem in your context, in your situation, uh, tonight, tomorrow night, and what God is asking you to do and not celebrating darkness and death, but redeeming it with his light and his life. So I would just encourage you to really ask him what he'd have for that and not to be um, 
unaware or oblivious. And I would also say we're not necessarily saying we're looking for a devil under every rock, right? That's not what we're doing. But I'm saying I think he's sitting on a rock kind of looking at you and laughing sometimes, shooting arrows at you. And there's a difference. And that's why we go to God, our rock, who gets to be in his power, his authority. He gets to go to Satan and tell him to knock it off and knock him away right from that piece. So I would encourage us to know that, yes, I'm not abdicating. We're looking everywhere or we're giving a lot of attention to him. But I'm saying it's I believe it's time to, to use the power that Jesus has given us in, in that uh, piece. Uh, one example of the Halloween piece is I was listening. There was a um, pastor here in America and he had a friend coming from Latin America and they were just walking through Walmart and shopping. And the Latin American person was just um, astonished because he looked over and saw this Halloween costume. He said, how did you get that? And it was the name of his specific demon that was in this little village in Latin America that we were just putting as, as a costume on the self and not really thinking about. But he's like, that's our demon in our village that we're all afraid of and that we have nightmares of and, and effects. And so he's just saying it's very real. For him, he was coming in that context saying, that's a battle that we pray and fight against all the time. And you just have it on your Walmart shelf and think it's just something we're going to wear tonight. tonight. It's different. And I just say, that if we are aware of these things, we can be able to pray into them and say, God, would you use your power in this way? I hope that, that makes sense. I, I just really want to encourage you to pray and ask the Lord how he wants you to be able to redeem. Not to run away, but to be able to redeem the light in that situation. I love how when Gus shared a couple weeks ago, he used that example from Mexico, and I'll but, butcher it, but it's said, if um, you don't butt heads with the devil once in a while, be careful because you might be going in the same direction. Okay, That was a really powerful moment to say, well, I want to be aware. Uh, amidst that, I would also say, if you would be in prayer for our family, um, uh, as I go for this trip to Ethiopia, we know the Lord isn't happy about stuff, but we spent last week uh, a couple of days in the hospital with my daughter having a seizure for the first time that we weren't aware of. Um, so we know there's things in the physical that happen too, but also spiritually that the enemy isn't happy. My wife is also in her third trimester now, and just to be able to be in prayer for us, we would just cover your prayers for these next two weeks as well. Uh, but we know that it's an enemy. We know we're going to be butting up against these things, but we don't have to fear. We know that God has the power and the strength. And so going back into Ephesians and looking about what kind of uh, power he has, it says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like um, when I think of Jesus, yeah, he was on earth and he went up to heaven and he's kind of far away. And yes, he gave us the helper of the Holy Spirit, but I don't always feel so close. And I, I wonder, uh, like, Jesus, I want you to be real. I want you to be close in that. And I picture him far, far away. But in this part, it shares about how he is sitting on a throne of authority. He is up there and he's making decisions. As a king, you can make a decision. He is sitting down at the right hand of the father and he has that authority to be able to speak into any situation. Okay, He's already praying and interceding for us. And I would encourage us to see him. Yes, he's up on that throne. But from that throne, he has authority to do what he wants. Yes, the enemy was here to create chaos, but I want to encourage that. Um, I want to wrap up with a couple uh, more things here and just share, again, the, the importance of this. 
Uh, we want to love people with our heads, with truth and justice. We want to love people with our heart and our hands about the, that, that part of honor and shame. We want to love people with our spirits. When we think about uh, that, that idea of a power encounter in our souls. But I also want to address, well, when you pray for something, what, what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't happen? I think we've all been there, right? You pray for someone, you pray for something, you, you're asking. And I'm not here to uh, define the problem of evil and do all that and figure it out in a few minutes. But I want to just share a few thoughts and, and what I would say. When it comes to being able to pray for people and pray over people, I want to really encourage us to seek the Lord's power in that. And just mention, I think a few thoughts are we don't see the whole picture, right? God does. If, when it doesn't maybe go the way that we're hoping. But to see him high and lifted up on this throne, I want to picture him in that way when I'm praying uh, for others. I would also say, I went through 15 years of really bad back pain, uh, and I was really struggling through that piece before the Lord Miraculous healed me. Uh, it's on the Ebenezer wall back there. But I was never, um, everyone who came up and prayed for me for those 15 years, I would take that in a heartbeat again, even though nothing necessarily happened right there. I was always encouraged by that. So I would encourage you, even if you're not sure how this goes, go for it. Pray for that person and see what the Lord wants to do. And that other person who prayed for me at the end be able to get the heal. Awesome. But I was so thankful every step of the way for those that did. I would also say God is okay with our doubts if we're not sure. When I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would they say, God can heal, can, can, can be with us? Okay, and he can save us out of the situation. But then they said, but even if he doesn't. So I would just say, God is okay with your doubts. Even before he gave the great commission, commission, it said some people worshiped him and some doubted. And then he still gave him the great commission anyway. I would encourage you to start with the question, what if he does? Instead of what if he doesn't? Just switch that and just start there. Okay, I would, I, that, that's been a, a change for me. And the results are his anyway, right? We can pray for it and the results are his because we don't know that piece. What I also want to be clear is this is not a prosperity gospel that I'm saying, word of faith, let's name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, and let's go do it and go for it. We're not saying that, right? But we're saying he's, he's got the authority and we can come to him ch as children and ask because he wants us to. Now, I think the reason why I don't or many of us don't is I work out of kind of a success decision. I think if I do this, am I going to be successful? If I um, date this person, will I be able to marry them? If I get this job, will it be good for my success? If I invest in this stock, will it work out? We make a lot of decisions based on the success. I want to put you in another scenario. You're walking with your friend across uh, an icy bridge, and underneath is a fast-flowing river. And you're walking along, and your friend's uh, out of their pocket, pulls their hand out of their pocket, and a quarter drops out and falls in the river. Um, next situation, maybe you're, you're walking along, your friend pulls a pocket out of the pocket, your, her iPhone falls out and goes in the river. Oh, that's a bummer. Next one, you're walking along with your friend, your friend's carrying a baby, slips, falls, and the baby goes over into the water. All same scenarios? No. What changed? First one, bummer, you lost a quarter. Oh, well, I hope you had your photos backed up. Second one. Third one, I'm going in. Why? What changed? My success rate didn't go up. It's probably not going to work. The what changed was the value, right? So I'm going in because of the value. I would encourage you, we're not praying for people for success. We're going for people because of value. So if we believe that their soul is important for relationship with Jesus, I'm going to pray for them, leaving the results up to him and saying that he can. 
but we share the gospel and share Jesus because of the value, right? So I would just encourage you, whatever you're kind of thinking about right now or wondering, mm, do this or do that, maybe change our mindset to, is this valuable? Is this worth chasing? Is this going, worth going after? And then asking Jesus for that faith. Many of you have probably heard faith is spelled R-I-S-K, right? And that's the way we've got to go. We see that all throughout scripture. I appreciate your patience. I just want to um, uh, share a little bit of this uh, piece. I have to share from Psalm 7. This was really powerful. I have one more missionary story before we wrap up with a little prayer. But um, thinking about the kind of this power encounter in this piece, if you want to turn back to Psalm 7 for a second, in this, I was seeing all through about um, truth and justice. He is a judge. He will judge righteously. And then it talks about he is our shield. He will cover us and cover our shame. But then in verse 14, it says, He who is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. He who digs a hole and scoops it out falls into a pit. Excuse me. He who digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit he has made. The trouble he causes recoils on himself. His violence comes down on his own head. So if uh, this is a Horn of Africa missionary, he's in South Omo, the area I'm going. I'm just going to read this uh, story as it was shared with me. It says, this took place while we were doing research or at, while we were out doing outreach, sharing to the community our story. So this is a church planner there. Why are you bringing weird teachings to our community? A group of people asked as they approached us. You're not supposed to preach, right? They physically harmed us and while pointing a gun at us in threat. While we were, they, we were bleeding, they ridiculed us saying, where is your God that you are saying saved? Saves. And he responded, he lives in heaven and he will repay you for this. Then they went their separate ways and we sought medical attention at a neighboring medical facility in a place called Demeca. The person who planned our attack while he was walking stumbled into a deep pit. They brought him to the same hospital where we were getting treatment. Soon after, his kid was transported to the medical facility after falling from a tree while by being hit by a strong wind. The father became shocked. We took the courage to challenge the father by saying, this is the God we worship. And no one dared to mock us after that day. Now, this just recently happened. I'm not saying that's the way we should go out and do evangelism. Okay? But I am saying it's different. It's different in different settings, different cultures. But they were willing to kind of take the risk and say, we're going to go and preach the gospel. We know it's the best news. We know they are valuable. Even they're holding a gun, even though they're beating up, we're going to take the risk, not because it's going to be successful, because we believe that Jesus is worth it. Because we believe their souls are worth it. And we might just be the seed that gets thrown on the ground for, for them, but we're willing to do that. But they're also willing to say, our God works like this. I mean, we read these Psalms, but like this is real life. It does happen. They fall into pits and the violence comes back on them. And this is a, something that just happened that we just read this morning in Psalm 7, right? It is. But I would encourage you, go for that value. See it from other people's perspective and being able to meet them where they are. I want to take just a second. I'm going to take 30 seconds and ask you, if you would, just close your eyes. I want you to just picture for a second Jesus high and lifted up on that throne. Yes, he's created millions of galaxies. He's high and lifted up. Picture him there in all authority. He is the one who is the way, the truth, the life. He is the one who brings us truth. And out of that truth is freedom. He is the one that brings us honor. And out of that is purpose. He is the one that brings power. And out of that is freedom. But I'm going to ask you just to take a little risk and ask him for something in faith. And I don't know what that is. Maybe in your mind, you, you want to ask him for a friend, something about that. You want to ask him to show up. Now I want you to just picture, if you can, 
He's big and he's huge. Yeah, you're kneeling at that throne, but now you're crawling up onto his lap. He is just, you are just a little child that wants to be with him and ask him something. I don't know if you have that in your mind, what you want to ask. Maybe you've never really said yes to Jesus. You want to just say, prove to me you're real. You want a relationship with him. Would you ask him for that relationship? Maybe you're thinking of an unsaved friend. Would you ask him for that? Would you take that faith, that risk? Seek his power out right now. I'm just going to give you 30 seconds to ask him for what, what, what he's putting on your heart. Now I'm just going to close uh, on Ephesians uh, chapter 3, that, that prayer. We'll close with that. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do it measurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Jesus, I praise you. I thank you for this morning to just be able to soak in your scriptures and say, yes, you are good. God, I pray that you would poke us and prod us where we need it. God, I pray that you would show up in power so that we may have deeper relationship with you. God, I know that this sermon may not have a, a perfect wrap-up. This is just a launch. I pray that we would be launched in what you have for us next. Lord, thank you for the faith to be able to ask you. Lord, for those that weren't able to do that, it's awkward to even be up on your lap in that part. Maybe they go back there today and just sit next to you and listen to what you have. God, because it's not about pursuing these things. It's about getting you. Jesus, we want you. We want others to have you. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would give us a depth with you, that treasure in you. And Jesus, may you pour out your power through us to others. Jesus, you are good, and we praise you for that. Pray that you would work in our lives with truth, with honor, and with power. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we close and sing the doxology, we would actually like to just invite Chris and his family up right here. We just want to pray a commissioning prayer for you guys. So um, all who want to participate in this prayer, let's just gather around.